we do have these children that are being supported in the K through 12 environment on a documentation like an IEP or a 504 plan. And then these students have learned how to use supports to be successful and they get to college and in the college arena says, yeah, we're not gonna help you anymore. You can either do that privately or maybe you do that on your own. What the college arena has found is that no, we need to support as well. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The next session of the ADHD Essentials Online Parent Coaching Groups will begin on Monday, January 19th, and will wrap up on Wednesday, March 3rd. As usual, the groups run at noon and 5 p.m. on Mondays and Wednesdays. Head on over to ADHDessentials.com slash parent groups for all of the details. Or send me an email at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Registration opens on Monday, December 7th. I hope to hear from you. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb. They continue to put on phenomenal episodes each and every week. The next live Q&A with everyone from the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network, will take place on Tuesday, December 8th. Check out ADHDrewired.com slash events to register. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Mary Jo Levand. Mary Jo is the director of the Academic Support Center at Notre Dame College. In today's episode, Mary Jo talks with us about the kinds of supports that we should expect at the college level. We discuss the importance of personalized guidance, why kids pick the wrong majors, and some of the awesomes hiding inside the awful of COVID-19. If your kid is younger, this episode will give you an idea of what to look for when college comes around. And if they're already of college age, hopefully this will help you and your kid navigate some of the challenges they may be facing right now by giving you new ideas or just helping you realize you're not alone. All right, let's get rolling. I'm Mary Jo Levand. I'm the director of the Academic Support Center at Notre Dame College. The Academic Support Center helps students with learning differences. So anybody with a medical documentation. My route to the Academic Support Center, like so many people I think in our industry today, did not start and did not stay in a straight line. Um, I actually got a degree out of college as an accountant. I went on and got my certified public accountancy um, certificate and worked in public accounting for about five years. I got married in between there, started having children. And when my second child was in fourth grade, she was diagnosed with a learning difference. At that point, I started doing a lot of research on how I could help her 
and how we could have her be supported. She was in a private school. So a lot of that was private support. That took me to the Academic Support Center at Notre Dame College, which is about a mile and a half away from our home. I started there as a tutor because I thought if I was on the inside helping other kids, it would help me help my child. So I've been with the Academic Support Center for 10 years now. I have changed from being a certified public accountant to being an educator and an educator specifically in students with learning differences. I have worked in every position at the Academic Support Center. So I feel that I know students from a tutoring standpoint, a progress advisor standpoint, all the way up to how do you make this work for a hundred plus students in a college setting? I think that you are the first accountant to come on this show. (laughs) And I actually use accountants as a bad job for people with ADHD. Probably you don't want to be an accountant. (laughs) There might be like four people with ADHD who that works for, but mostly maybe not the best choice. Well, that's funny you say that because my daughter's boyfriend is an accountant and he is ADHD, but boy, I will tell you, he has been trained well through all of behavioral modifications that have been made. And it's amazing. Honestly, that's where my brain went when you said accountant was, I think it's exciting that sort of the structured thinking that you have to have with an accountant is being brought to special education and students with learning challenges. Oftentimes, that's what we need. I, and I say we, because I've got ADHD. I was a kid with learning challenges. Um, I'm an adult with learning challenges. And a lot of the time, it's that structured thinking that, or lack thereof that gets in our way. When it comes to helping families looking at going to college with their kid with a learning disability, their kid with ADHD, and certainly those are comorbids. You might have a kid with ADHD who also has dyslexia or dysgraphia or dyscalculia or something. What are some of the supports, systems, expectations that they should be looking for and having when they're examining and exploring colleges? You know, college is very different from the K through 12 world because there really are no governmental guidelines. College is this whole new arena because we do have these children that are being supported in the K through 12 environment on a documentation like an IEP or a 504 plan. And then these students have learned how to use supports to be successful and they get to college and and the college arena says, yeah, we're not going to help you anymore. You can either do that privately or maybe you do that on your own. What the college arena has found is that, no, we need to support as well. It's not fair to these students to say, okay, you're in a different environment. So now you figure it out for yourself. The government has said that there are basic levels of support. So if you've been entitled to additional time for testing or a distraction-reduced environment, the government says that universities that get government funding have to provide that. But they're very nebulous beyond that as to what you need to provide. So the college can pick and choose. So what you see in the college environment is you see some colleges that do that and only that. Or like Notre Dame College, we've decided wait a second, these are bright individuals. You can look out into the business community and you can see large corporations, you can see nonprofit organizations realizing the creativity that a person with ADHD brings to their company, the outside of the box thinking. So our model, which started 15 years ago was, let's design a program specific for these students to succeed in the college environment. 
We know what supports they needed in high school. So it's not that far of a stretch to take that documentation and apply it to the courses they're taking in college. So that's what we've done. We've done a comprehensive level. We do things like we have professional tutors. We don't call them tutors. We call them instructional advisors because they don't just teach the content of the course. They also teach structure and organization and chunking of assignments and the things and focus, the things that students with ADHD need and they're going to need that the rest of their lives. So why do we think at the age of 18, they've learned everything they need to learn. They've stopped growing. Their mind has stopped growing. We know that's not true. So we want to support them through their college experience as well. So we do professional tutors. We do progress advisors, which help them on a weekly basis with organization and structure within the college setting. And that doesn't just apply to their academics that applies to you're a football player or you're a bowler. We have a bowling team at Notre Dame College. A lot of our students are there. We have a great performing arts center. The majority of our students within the academic support center are um, in the performing arts area. So we help them structure, how are you getting to play practice and how are you doing your work and how are you managing in the dorm setting, because a lot of our students live on campus, they have that opportunity. So we go above and beyond, and then we do career prep. That's something else that we have brought into the fold. Our students need to know how ADHD is going to look in the workforce, how it's going to infect their career choices. You and I just talked about that whole accountant thing. Is being an accountant the right choice for this particular student? And what we found through our 15 years is every student is different. We know that if we have more than one child in our family, every one of our children is different. So every time we meet a new student, every time we start a new program with them, we have to tweak our program a little and we have the ability to do that because we're a small campus. We have approximately a hundred students in our program on a 1300 student campus. Um, so the other wonderful thing we get to do is educate our professors. All of our professors know what it means to have a student with a learning difference in their classroom. I have identical twins and they are not the same kid. And I often, I've probably even said it on this podcast a fair amount. I often talk about how that's been a real like benefit for me and a real blessing for me because there's this bias that parents can have when they have a kid where they're like, my kid's going to grow up to be this, right? Like they're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or president or whatever. And when you have two kids that are like the same kid, you can't be like, that kid's going to grow up to be a doctor. And so is the other one, I guess. Like that, that whole thought process just exploded and died for me as soon as I found out we were having twins because it didn't make sense anymore. And that got rid of the expectations of what are they? I don't know what they're going to be when they grow up. I don't know what they're going to be tomorrow. So it's just, I know who they are and I can tell that they're different. They're very different kids. They require different strategies. So I think it's great that your program has that perspective that every kid's going to have their own individual needs. And one of those needs, sort of a more broad-based one that I think is great, that is part of your your pillars of support that you actually didn't mention, so I'm going to mention it, (laughs) are those retention services, the retention resources to keep the kids enrolled and help them stay. That's awesome. I came really close to dropping out of college. I had a year left. And the only reason I didn't was because I literally went to a Bickford's in my hometown with my mom 
And I met her at the Bickfords. I didn't even go home first. I just drove from school for, it was like, an, I went to UMass Amherst. I lived in Chelmsford, Mass. For those of you who are in the state know what I'm talking about. So it was like an out, two hour drive to have pancakes with my mom. Uh-huh. And she was like, you got to stay. It's only a year left. You can do this. You can do this. Like, But it was really just a pep talk because that was all we had back then. This is like 1999, 2000, somewhere in there. If my mom had known the strategies that I needed, I'm sure she would have learned them and then taught them to me. But that's not where we were back then. And I think it's phenomenal that you're building those strategies in and you've got these retention services. I'm sure it's more than just a pep talk. Can you share a little bit about the specificity of what does it take to help a kid stay in school? And and what are some of the skills that prevent them from wanting to leave in the first place? Well, a lot of times, just like any other any other child at the age of 18. And like you were saying, you know, we have these ideas of what we want to be and who we want to be. And at 18, you really haven't experienced any of that. You haven't gone out and worked, you know, in a hospital if you want to be a doctor, or you haven't worked in a law firm if you want to be a lawyer. So these students come in and they say, I want to be a math major because the one class that I excelled at in high school was math. And so that's where I got my self-esteem. So now I want to be a math major. And they get two years into a program, which in our case can be okay because we also um, can give a student an associate's degree versus a bachelor's degree. So they get two years into a program and they say, yeah, this isn't what I want to do because I didn't realize that math wasn't just about taking a formula and taking numbers and plugging it in. But I have all this other thinking that, maybe I don't want to do. So we sit down with them and we do, you know, interest exploration. And we do that the the day they walk in as a freshman. We do individualized intake meetings with them and their parents so that we know what their expectations or what they're looking to do is from the get-go. And then on a regular basis, like I said, weekly, that progress advisor meets with the student and says, how are you doing? But how are you feeling too? Um, you know, I see that maybe you're not doing really well in these math classes. So let's talk about other avenues looking at your interests that maybe we think you would do well. The other thing we do is we do a lot of internships and co-ops. And that can be anything from just having business people or career people come in and talk about what they do. We see so many times our students want to give back because they were so excited the day they met that person that unlocked their abilities and said, you know what? It's not that you can't do it. You have an issue that's keeping you from doing it. So, so many of our students say, I want to go into education. I want to go into special ed. So with those retention services, we also have social and emotional counseling and major advising. So we do that in workshop form so that It may not be individualized and students can talk to one another about what their majors are and they can explore other majors just through other students in the program and other students in the college. We do that privately by talking to the professors. We set up meetings with the professors for them. And then we always add the social emotional piece by talking to a counselor. And how do you feel about this? This is what you thought you wanted to do. How's it going to affect you if that isn't where you end up? It's kind of a three-pronged approach. And like I said, we, we have a very hands-on approach, which is unique in a college setting. 
I think one of the things that's important for kids to know about kids in college who are looking for a career and even adults who are looking to change careers, I think it's really important that they know what about their prospective career sucks. Like what about it is terrible. And can you handle that? I knew a lot of vet science majors when I was in college and a fair amount of them were like, I'm doing veterinary science and animal science because I love animals and I hate people. And I remember being like, you know, all those animals are owned by someone, right? Like you're going to have to talk to people. There's, it's still a service job. And I wasn't thinking of it quite that way back then, but that's the gist of it. And then my girlfriend in college was working at a vet's office and ended up kind of becoming an important person at the vet's office during her senior year and got called into an emergency call where a dog was dying, like on a farm. And I, I had to take her, I had to take her to the farm and then she sat in the backseat of the car while we drove this dying dog to a place where it could be treated. That was hard for me. And I didn't even go into the barn to get the dog or carry the Like I just sat in the car being the wheelman. But that was hard for me, let alone how difficult it was for her. And so those two elements of animal science majors that, that you still have to deal with people and also like animals die. There's a lot of tragedy in this job. You've got to be ready for that. I think that element is critical. Do you, do you find any kids that sort of go in wide eyed? Like I'm going to, I just love math. So I'm going to go be a math major. And then, I mean, hopefully people aren't dying in math, but then are there any sort of shock and awe moments of this is what is terrible about this intended career that you guys share with your students? Yes. And, and I don't think that is necessarily unique just to our students, but I think we have a much op more open and honest conversation about that with our students. So many times we see students graduate from our program and let's take, you know, the scenario of education again. Oh, same thing as being, you know, in veterinary science. Like I'm going to go work with students and they're going to be awesome. And they're going to be so excited that I'm standing up in front of the class and teaching them. And then they get into that classroom and they're like, wait a second, they're not really happy I'm here. They're not really happy I'm assigning homework to them. And I'm not getting the fulfillment out of this that I want. So we've even created for our students what's called a leadership program for them to come back and rethink about how they take now that education major and either turn it into what they really hoped it would be. So maybe that is you know, more in the caregiver arena of healthcare where they go in and, and there are children who are ill but need to be tutored through some programs. And they do that on a one-on-one -on -one basis where they get gratification versus a classroom, or they decide to change their major completely, as in my case. And you find a love for something that you're like, this is the way my life is taking me. So yes, we have alumni come back quite a bit and talk to our current students about where their path took them and where they are now on it. Because I have to say it's few and far between for any human to say, here's where I started. And 30 years later, I'm still in the same place and I still love it. And everything was just as I thought it was going to be when I was 20 years old. Yeah. It, it just doesn't go like that. <laughs> no. And if it does, it might be kind of boring. Yeah. I would think it would, you'd probably feel like you stagnated at some point. Yeah, I guess. And, and certainly your wages are going to stagnate. If you're not moving around, you're not going to get paid as well. Well, and from an ADHD mind, because along with the dyslexic, I also have three ADHD family members. as so you can imagine our house. Um, but the creativity that goes on here, the, you know, the thought processes, 
it's awesome. Like I can't imagine my life without it. Yeah, sure. There's chaos and, and we have to learn to deal with that. And we have to do some behavior modification at times. But the fact that each and every one of those people and each and every one of the students in the academic support center is unique and is a unique human and you treat them differently is what I think the world is about. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of the world, uh, how's COVID affecting all this stuff? You know, I think probably just like everybody else, there's good and bad to this. The good to this is that our students are showing an adaptability I never thought I would see. When we shut down in March of last year, I thought, wow, this is, you know, some of these kids are just going to tank. We're really, you know, we definitely focused on the mental health part of it, on the isolation part of it for a lot of them. But they stepped up to the plate. They did really well. We adjusted come this fall. We we have a flex program at NDC. So that means that they are partially face-to-face, partially partially virtual. And in the ASC, we've been able to, because we have such a great center, it's a large space. It's got a distraction-reduced testing center that right now can fit 25 students at a time in it. So we still do a lot of face-to-face tutoring. Our tutors love the students. They understand the connection that happens when you're face-to-face versus being virtual. So we have plexiglass dividers, everyone's masked up, and um, we're doing face-to-face tutoring right now. And our professors are even allowing our students to be face-to-face for every class. So one of the accommodations that we're providing is that if you choose to be face-to-face for every class because you've got a, a learning difference, we can accommodate that. So really for our students, this has been very nice. We have a counselor who sits in our center every day. So that's been something that's been really good about COVID is that our students have access to mental health help at any time. One of the things I've been thinking about with regard to COVID and sort of how I'm perceiving its effect on the world and its effect on folks with ADHD is for a lot of people who don't have ADHD, they're experiencing what it's like to have ADHD. Their anxiety is up. They're forgetful of stuff. Time is weird and doesn't make any sense. They're having trouble executing on the stuff they're supposed to do. They're having trouble remembering sort of what the sequence is and what they need to do and what their responsibilities are. Stuff is falling off their plates. And for ADHD folks, that's baseline. And also they're full of uncertainty. They just don't really know what's going to come next, which is also a pretty ADHD trait, a pretty solid ADHD trait. And so for ADHD people, we seem to be kind of swaying in the breeze a little bit. And sometimes it's our ADHD turned up to 11, right? Like the rising tide. Now everyone else has risen to the level of ADHD. The ADHD people are going up even higher. And so for them, it's like ADHD turned up to 11. And other times we're sort of like, yeah, this is the ocean I swim in all the time. Like this is not weird. This is comfortable. I understand this uncertainty and this weird time stuff. Like this is where I live. And sometimes I don't want to say some of us, because I think it kind of fluctuates for all of us, but sometimes we're more comfortable in this new reality than a lot of people who are neurotypical and aren't used to this. Are you seeing something similar? How are your students experiencing this? What does that look like? Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think some of our students have adapted better 
because the professors and the college overall have become more lenient. And what the professors are kind of focusing on now is knowledge of content. It's no longer, you know, okay, you had a deadline, you missed that deadline. Why'd you miss that deadline? So our students are feeling a little bit more of a sigh of relief because they have three projects. We can help them chunk them so that they're done on time and they're feeling better than, oh my gosh, I've got 17 different things to do right now. You know, the lightening up of the load, but yet the content being the same has almost been emancipating for a lot of them. It's funny you say that because taking that to a personal level, my 15 year old is very ADHD and didn't want to admit it until this very year, until COVID hit, was kind of like, nope, nope, nope. We sat in front of a computer in March and he broke down and said, yep, can't focus anymore. Can't do this anymore. And it was the breakthrough we needed. And I don't think it would have come if it hadn't been for COVID. And that's what we're seeing in our students too. They're being more open and honest because they're seeing other people who are neurotypical being anxious and being open and honest about the fact that they don't know what's to come. So it's allowing this conversation that has never really happened before. One of the other unique things about Notre Dame College is our college campus itself is extremely diverse. So our atypical students feel comfortable and unjudged there. And we have a veil of confidentiality in the ASC. So if a student doesn't want anybody else to know they're a part of the ASC, they don't. But I will tell you 75% of our students wear it as a badge of honor. And it is awesome because you talk to people who are of the age 18 to 23, and there is no judgment about someone who learns differently or whose mind is functioning differently. And it's refreshing to see. Yeah. I just want to circle back real quick to your point about your son. And one, that's awesome. Like, and I'm glad that that's your perspective that you're like, yay, you're not like, oh, he has ADHD. You're like, he finally admitted it. We can move on and figure stuff out now. Exactly. But connected to that is I think a piece of COVID that is, I like to call it finding the awesome in the awful, right? So an awesome piece of the awful that is COVID, and this isn't the only one, certainly, is that we ADHD folks carry a lot of shame around because of the mistakes we make because of the times we space out or flake or lose track of whatever and right now we can sort of blame all of that on covid and and it lets us depersonalize a lot of the shame which allows us to move forward more rapidly than we might otherwise be able to because at the moment you're allowed to struggle and you're allowed to be uncertain and you're allowed to sort of be adrift here and there and it doesn't have to be your ADHD. You can be like, no, it's totally, even if you know, even if you're like, it's completely my ADHD that's making me screw this up. You can still say like, I'm just overwhelmed by COVID and it just makes things a little bit easier. No, I agree. And uh, I think it gives them the feeling that other people are experiencing what I'm experiencing. So I'm really not that different. Yeah, I, I was scheduled to meet with a guy, um, sort of like a preliminary interview podcast networking thing that I was connected to by another ADHD professional. And uh, I flaked on him twice, which I never do. I rarely flake once. Mm -hmm. 
but it was a big learning opportunity for me because both of the times that we scheduled were like Friday afternoon. It was like Friday at 1.30 and Friday at 3.15 or something. After I flaked it on the second time, I sent him an email and was like, I understand if you are done with me, like it's totally fine. I do want to let you know that I was thinking about bringing you on the podcast. So if that's interesting, great. And if you're willing to give me another chance, I really do want to meet with you. What I've learned from this is that Friday after lunch, like I just am not reliable because by the time I get to Friday after lunch, I feel like I'm done. I've been doing a lot of stuff all week long. Like I have like three jobs, the podcast, the ADHD stuff, the homeschool and the kids. It's a bunch. So by the time I get there, it's over for me. I've especially because my Fridays are mostly cleared to do stuff with my kids. So I'm like, I've been homeschooling all day and doing fan, dad family stuff. I just forget that I have a business thing at in the afternoon, which is why we're recording on a Friday morning. And so that that effect of COVID on someone's ADHD is also important. Are you finding that any of your students are struggling more as a result? Is there anything in particular that seems to be challenging for them? I wouldn't say that our ADHD students are struggling more. We also have a whole population of autistic students, which that's really where we're seeing a struggle. The only thing I can say overall for all of our students is the isolation. One of the areas within our center is, is there just for the students to be together and just to sit down and talk. And so many times, you know, that's cathartic for them because, you know, hey, I have this professor. Oh, I had him a year ago. And let me tell you about him. And this is what I'm seeing. And they're not getting that interaction. Now, we have deliberately created some drop-in workshops for them with our counselors, but that's still not the same as just a bunch of college students sitting around and being honest with one another about what they're feeling. So I think that inability to be able to connect with other people their age in a face-to-face manner where they can just drop their guards and talk about things is really where we're hurting the most. And that's probably true for the world. You know, that's, you know, connecting with other people. And that's a part that everybody needs. One of the things that you bring out when you say you have three jobs and are, and are homeschooling your children and stuff is that, you know, that's the ADHD mind. You thrive because you have 17 different things going. And that's what I see in our students. So now when they're just focused on just the academics and then they have to go home, you know, and can't really interact with anyone, that's having an impact on them because they're not doing those 16 other things that typically they would do on our campus. That's where I see the negative of all of this. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? What I would like everyone to take away from this is college is absolutely an option for a student with ADHD. There are a lot of options out there. They're all different. So just like everything else you've had to do with your ADHD student is you need to research and you need to ask a lot of questions and do college visits because our ADHD students and children should not stop learning in 12th grade. They have brilliant minds. They have creative thoughts and they are the ones who are going to change this world. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com.
And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need. Thank you.